friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. to go to God's Word, so may I invite you to please rise from your seats right now, and we will take a look at the book of Micah, chapter 5, verses 2 to 4. So I'm diverting from my series on the book of Habakkuk just to give way to uh, a Christmas message, and of course, next week, I'll be giving a New Year's message. So uh, for a couple of Sundays, we're moving out of our series, and then I'll be back again sometime in January. So let's read Micah chapter 5, beginning at verse 2, all the way to verse 5, please, at the count of 3, 1, 2, read. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain. Because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth, this one will be our peace. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that this season, Lord, we can celebrate your salvation, your birth, and not only your birth, but even your death, your resurrection, and also, in this message, Lord, your second coming. And so we pray, Father, that we might have a deeper and fuller appreciation of Christmas. May we not celebrate it simply because of the gifts, the bonuses, the parties, the reunions. May we celebrate, Lord, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that as we appreciate this message, Lord, of Christmas, we might be able to come before you in worship, in praise, giving you all the glory because you deserve it alone. And so we come before you with humble hearts, O God, we pray that we might be receptive to your word. I pray that the Holy Spirit might have his way in our midst, O oh God. I pray for myself, Lord. You know my weaknesses. You know, Father, that apart from you, I cannot speak your message clearly and powerfully. So I completely, absolutely rely on your power and your wisdom and your guidance. And so, Lord, at the end of all of this, may you alone Receive all the glory, praises, and thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, The End Game of Christmas. Now, every time we celebrate Christmas, we speak about the message of salvation, and rightly so, because the birth and then the death of the Lord Jesus Christ brought about our salvation, it brought about the payment of all of our sins. And of course, right after the death 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, it proceeded to his resurrection, and the resurrection was a validation of the birth, death, and the payment of our sins. In other words, without the resurrection, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ would have been pointless. And that is why we not only celebrate his death, not only his birth, but we need to celebrate his resurrection as well. Now, as we speak about that, we need to realize that when we speak about the message of Christmas, more often than not, it speaks to our individual hearts. We know that Jesus is King, Lord, Master, and Savior of our hearts. So Christmas actually has an individual significance to all of us. But the big question I have is what about the message of Christmas to the world? And I think that is what I would like to focus on right now. Not just the individual, but the world at large. What does Christmas mean to the world? Just so you understand where the sermon will be flowing, allow me to present to you my three points. And you will notice that I will be enlarging beginning from the first point all the way to the third point. And so the first point has to do with a small town's big contribution. And under that, we're going to talk about the, the insignificant town, which of course we know of as Bethlehem. And then we will talk about the significant ruler, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will discover his origin, which is from eternity past. Now we will enlarge that, actually it's not me enlarging it, but it is Micah enlarging it. So in, he enlarges it from a town to now the nation of Israel. And so we will talk about the nation's future, and under that, we will be talking about Israel's dispersion, Israel's rebirth, and then Israel's regathering. So now, from a town to a nation, the third point goes to the world. So notice how it enlarges itself. So what we will be talking about, <coughs> excuse me, in verse three would be a ruler's universal reign. And we will talk about the characteristics of the ruler's rule, one of which is he shepherds the flock in God's strength and in the majesty of God's name. We will expound on that later on. In the second sub-point, we talk about the security that Jesus provides to Israel and the world because his rulership, <coughs> excuse me again, will be worldwide. And finally, he provides the peace that Israel and the world longs for. So, let's start off with <coughs> our first point, a small town's big contribution and the insignificant town. So, let's start off with Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 at this time. It goes, but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. So now, the, the focus is zooming in on a particular town. It is an insignificant town. Now, let me just give you a little background about this town. Bethlehem is about 30 miles, I'm sorry, 5 miles from Jerusalem. And so, it would take you, I think, by bus, if you're riding a bus, it would take you about, just about 30 minutes to be able to reach Bethlehem from Jerusalem. All right, so it is that near to Jerusalem. 
Now, Ephratha, also called Ephrath, which we find in Genesis 35, 16 to 19 and 48 verse 7, was actually an older name for Bethlehem or the name of the area around Bethlehem. Now, you and I know the reason why uh, this was named so, because I think uh, Pastor AJ last week and mentioned to you the fact that there is another Bethlehem in the north. And that is why we are being told by Micah here, this is not the Bethlehem in the north, this is the Bethlehem in the south, in the Judean region, all right? Now, this was an insignificant small town, which is not even mentioned in the list of towns in Joshua chapter 15 or even in Nehemiah chapter 11. So the fact that it was not even mentioned tells you that it was not really important. It was not really significant among the people of Israel. Now in Joshua 15 or Nehemiah 11, you discover where the clans of Judah actually lived. And again, Bethlehem is not even mentioned. Now, even today, it remains an insignificant place in Israel, except, of course, for the tourist spots, because this is where Jesus got born. Let me just show you a picture right here. Over there, this is uh, in Bethlehem. Uh, this was taken at the place called the Shepherd's Field. And they say this is one of the possible sites where uh, the Lord announced the birth of Christ uh, through an angel to the shepherds. And so uh, this is that place. So if you talk about the significance of Bethlehem right now, it's probably just about the tourist spots that you can discover there, but nothing else. It still remains insignificant. And so we find that the choice of Bethlehem is actually characteristic of God's ways, who chooses that which is, or that who is insignificant so that all boasting would be in the Lord. For example, God chose Joseph, who was a prisoner in Egypt, and later on he becomes the prime minister of Egypt. Not only that, we find God chose David. Who was David? David was merely a shepherd boy. But later on, he becomes the king of Israel. Last weekend, uh, Pastor AJ talked about Mary. How old was Mary? Maybe 13, 14, maximum 15 years old. She was a young girl. And yet the Lord God chose her to become the mother of Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? God also chose Daniel. Who was Daniel? He was a Jewish exile. And yet interestingly, he became a very powerful political influencer for the king of Babylon as well as for the king of Medo-Persia. Again, an insignificant person. Then you find that also God chose Ruth, a Moabite, to become the ancestress of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, Moab was a hated nation. It was a despised nation. And so what lesson do we get out of this? And you know, I think Jeremiah 9, 23, 24 actually lays it out very well. So allow me to just read this to you. It goes, thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me 
that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So this has always been the divine philosophy of God that he would choose people who are weak, he would choose insignificant places. And obviously the reason is that we might all give glory to God and to God alone. And I think this is something that is very important for us to understand most especially this Christmas. We are not glorifying anything else in Christmas, not our bonuses, not our parties, not our reunions, not our gifts. What you and I need to be exalting and glorifying is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And again, I believe this is a message that we need to get reminded of because we get to be distracted with a lot of things. We tend to honor and give respect to other things other than God himself. And so let us be reminded once again that one of the primary messages of Christmas is that we need to give glory to God. And again, that's the reason why he chose this insignificant place. But here's something interesting. From this insignificant place comes a significant ruler. In fact, not just a significant ruler, the most significant ruler of all time. And so let me just read again from verse 2. It says, from you, from Bethlehem, one will go forth to me or for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Again, out of this insignificant town comes the most significant person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the question is, how do we know that this is actually talking about the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we find confirmation in the Gospel of Matthew. So let me bring you to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And this is what it says. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, again, the southern uh, part of Israel, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. It's quite interesting that even uh, the people, or even the Magi here, described Jesus not as Savior and Lord, which he is, but they describe him as the King of the Jews. I'll go back to that point later on. But let me just segue to the fact also that it was not only Jesus Christ who was born in Bethlehem. There was another significant person who was born in Bethlehem. And who would that person be? Well, David himself. And we find this in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 12. It says, now David was the son of the Ephratite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. Now you and I know that the Lord Jesus Christ was a direct descendant of David himself. And so David was his forefather, David was his ancestor. And so again, let me point out the fact that 
Oftentimes, we hear about Jesus Christ being Savior. We hear about Him being our Master. But here in Micah and also in the Gospel of Matthew, He is addressed as ruler. He is addressed as king. And it's something that we will see later on. One day we will see, the world will see Jesus as king. He will rule all over the world. And we will explain and expound more on that, but I'd like you to understand that. Now, let's take a look at one other passage, again, in the book of Micah, which speaks about his rulership, which will be universal. Micah chapter 4, verse 3 states, And he, referring to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Now, this is such a great comfort to me, most especially this Christmas, because there are a lot of things that are wrong in this world that we are living in. So many disturbing news. Like, for example, we heard or probably you saw the video about the bullying incident in one of the more prominent schools in Metro Manila. And we were all saddened, maybe even angered by that kind of uh, treatment that this uh, young uh, kid received from a bully. And of course, you probably heard about the death of a policeman just very recently. Somebody killed one of our policemen here uh, in Cebu province. Again, that was quite disturbing. We look around the world, uh, like for example, in the recent uh, Miss Universe, there was a transgender who uh, even uh, was received as a candidate. And that in itself is already disturbing. The, the values of the world is actually beginning to change. And so there are a lot of things that are quite disturbing. There are a lot of things that are chaotic. There are wars taking place. There's murders. There's killings. There's rape. There's massacres. And so you get disturbed by that. And we always ask the question, Lord, when will you put things in order? And I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, that one day, our Lord Jesus Christ will reign and he will rule. And he will not just simply rule and reign in our hearts, which is absolutely fantastic. Well, let me just tell you, he will not just rule in our hearts, he will rule all over the world. Amen? That is what our Lord Jesus Christ will be doing. Now, this, of course, is something that we have to wait upon. This will take place in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the millennium. All right? Now, we ask the question, where did Jesus come from? What are the origins of his be beginnings? Well, we are told that his origin is actually from eternity past. Again, from the same verse, verse 2, we are told this. Let me just read this to you. It goes, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. This ruler's origins are from of old, from ancient times. The King James Version renders it ancient times or, uh, or as everlasting. But the NIV translation uh, in Hebrew literally means days of immeasurable time which again speaks of eternity. That basically tells us that this Savior that we have has no beginning, he has no end. 
So he is an eternal person. What does that tell you? This savior, this ruler is not an ordinary man. He is not an ordinary savior. He is God. It is quite unfortunate that there are some Christian cults that do not recognize the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. To them, Jesus is merely a man. Jesus is merely a prophet. Yes, he is a savior, they would say, but he is only a man. Some of them say that he is a God, but he is a small God, not with a capital G, but with a small letter case G. That is what they say of Jesus Christ. And friends, let me just ask you this question. How can somebody who comes from eternity be an ordinary man? How can somebody who has no beginning and no end be an ordinary man? Right off the bat, in the Old Testament, we are already told specifically in the book of Micah that this Jesus who is our Savior, this Jesus whom we celebrate, this Jesus whom, reve whom we revere is worthy of worship. Why? Because Jesus is God. Amen? So this ruler will be the Son of God himself, the second person in the Blessed Trinity. How blessed we are to have a Savior whose beginnings are from eternity. So, again, what Micah did here was he zoomed in into a small town. But then, in the next few verses, he begins to zoom out. He begins to talk about a nation. So let's talk about this nation. This nation, of course, we know of to be Israel. So let's talk about the future of this nation in verse 3. It says, therefore, he that's referring to God will give them, that's the nation of Israel, will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Now, some of us might think, that this refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. This does not refer to Jesus Christ because of the context. The context in verse 3 is referring to the nation of Israel, not the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2 was talking about Jesus Christ, but verse 3 is talking about the nation. Anyway, I'll explain that more as we go on. Reading on, it says, Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. You know, when I studied this particular passage, I was really amazed how loaded verse 3 actually is. Verse 3 actually spells out to us the destiny of this nation. What would happen to them in the immediate as well as in the distant future. Again, let's remind ourselves that when Micah prophesied this, this was in the Old Testament. This was not in the New Testament. So what was being prophesied here were things that would be in the distant as well as in the immediate future of Israel. So let's talk about the future of Israel. Well, first of all, it talks about Israel's dispersion. Now, how do we know it's talking about uh, the dispersion of Israel? Because verse 3 begins with this statement, Therefore, he, referring to God, will give them up. Now, what is this language talking about? Well, you need to go back to the book of Deuteronomy. 
And when you go to the book of Deuteronomy, you will understand that uh, Israel was placed under a covenant of law. And under that covenant of law, if they obeyed the statutes, the principles, and the laws of God, they would be blessed. However, if they happened to disobey God, what would happen is that curses would come upon them. And the rejection of God, listen well, would be manifested in their dispersion. They would be dispersed to different nations. That would be the manifestation of the rejection of God. They would be removed out of the presence. They would be removed out of their presence from the land of Israel. That is what would happen to them. And so was this, was this prophecy fulfilled? Again, we're talking about something in the Old Testament. Was this prophecy fulfilled in the New Testament? Well, yes, specifically in 70 AD. When the Roman Empire destroyed Jerusalem, they were dispersed all over the world. That's why you will find Jews everywhere. You will find Jews in Russia. You will find Jews in Europe. You will find Jews in France, in Spain, in Poland, in the United States. And for a period of time, they were here in the Philippines as well. During the time of President Manuel L. Quezon, about 1,500 Jews found refuge here in the Philippines. The plan of Manuel L. Quezon, our president at that time, was even to plant them in Mindanao so that they could have a settlement there. And so that was the history of Israel. They were dispersed all over the world. The big question is why? Why were they dispersed? Because they were not faithful in the covenant of law. Because God had told them that if they followed, they would be blessed. If they did not obey God, they would be cursed by the Lord. And one of the greatest sins of the nation of Israel was the rejection of their own Messiah, who was prophesied actually in the Old Testament by prophets like Isaiah, Micah, and Daniel. And fortunately, when the Messiah came, they missed the day of their visitation. The Lord Jesus Christ, in his commentary in Matthew 23, verse 37, states the pain of rejection. Now let's read Matthew 23, beginning at verse 37. It goes, Jerusalem, this is Jesus speaking. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate, for I say to you from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This dispersion, this, uh, this chastisement, this punishment will continue on until they recognize that Jesus is the real Messiah. You and I know that they have rejected Christ even up to today. They do not recognize Jesus as a Messiah. They do not even recognize Jesus as a prophet. They simply say, well, he was a rabbi. 
He performed miracles, but that was the only thing that he is. That's the only thing he is. He's a rabbi. He's not even a prophet. And God is saying here that you will not see me. You will not see your Messiah until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the question is, when will this nation repent again? Well, this nation will repent when the tribulation period takes place. Right after the rapture and beginning at the reign of the Antichrist, they will recognize that they actually missed the Messiah and they were now, or they are now, worshiping the Antichrist. When that happens, when their eyes will be opened, then they will say, blessed is he, referring to Christ, who comes in the name of the Lord. But that is something that will happen in the future. For now, they continue to suffer. For now, they continue to be under threat. For now, there are wars that are taking place. And the Lord Jesus Christ had a commentary, by the way, in Matthew 24, speaking more details about what was going to happen in the near future. Matthew 24 verses 1 and 2 states, Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. Now, let me just stop there for a while. Now, understand that the temple in Jerusalem which was uh, situated at the Temple Mount, was really an imposing structure. Now think about this. The height of the temple was like a 10-story building. And of course, right now, probably we'll say, well, that's not so high. But you need to understand, these were ancient times. These were ancient times. People were not used to have imposing structures. But this structure was about 10 feet or 10 stories high. So just imagine a building 10 stories high. And it's situated at one of the highest places in Jerusalem. And you're coming from, from below and you're, you're moving up towards Jerusalem and you see this imposing building. You see the temple. It was grand. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. The disciples were amazed, and why not? They were provincianos. They were from the province. They were from the rural areas. They were from Galilee in the north. They were not city boys. And so they were, they were just in awe when, when they would see this imposing building, the temple in Jerusalem. And you and I know that uh, King Herod the Great renovated it and make it, made it so grand. But you know what? This is what Jesus said about the temple. He said, listen, verse 2. And he said to them, do you, not, do you see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Question, did that happen? Yes, let me show you a picture. Let's show the picture of the stones. This, these are archaeological discoveries. They just dug up, you know, uh, 
alongside the, uh, the walls of uh, the Temple Mount and guess what they discovered here? Stones which were, which were thrown down, torn down and thrown down by the Roman Empire. See friends, when Jesus Christ speaks something, when he predicts something, he's going to do it. Amen? Our Jesus is not a liar and this is exactly what you see here. It's really interesting when you do a study of biblical prophecy and then you have these archaeological discoveries and you just realize everything that we're studying in the scriptures, everything we're studying in the Bible is actually true. And it's so unfortunate that there is only a remnant of believers who believe and trust in the Word of God. There are a lot of people who reject Christ there are a lot of people who somehow put down the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They do not exalt him for who he really is. That he is the son of God. He is the savior of the world. And so again, what happened here was as a result of their rejection of Christ. But you know what? One lesson we can derive out of our God, even though we are faithless, he remains faithful. And the interesting part in verse 3, Micah, is that in spite of the rejection of the Messiah, in spite of the stubbornness and being stiff-necked, you know, of the nation of Israel, God would still somehow show them covenant faithfulness. The loving kindness of God never ceases. That's something that truly amazes me. And what do we see here? Well, we see it in, in, in verse 3 once again, the, the, the second part. It says, when she, that's referring to the nation of Israel, not Mary, when the nation of Israel who is in labor has born a child. What is this talking about? If this is not the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I mentioned to you, this cannot be the birth of Jesus Christ because the context tells us this was talking about the nation of Israel. What then is this talking about? This is talking about the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Could you say this with me? The rebirth of the nation of Israel. God foretold long ago that after he disperses them all over the world, he will make them a nation once again. He would give birth to them again and make them a nation. Guess what? In how many days? In one single day. Where do we find that? That they became a nation in one single day. Isaiah 66 verse 8. Could you please turn your Bibles there? Isaiah 66 and verse 8. It says, who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be brought forth all at once? As soon as Zion travailed, she also brought forth her sons. So isn't it interesting? Micah talks about the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Isaiah likewise confirms that and he's talking about the rebirth of that nation. And what is so amazing about it is God is going to do it in one day's time. This nation, this land would be recognized as a nation in one day's time. And let me just read to you an article to prove my point from the end times Bible prophecy, which states 
This is exactly what happened on May 14, 1948. Having been brought to the brink of extinction by the horrors of the Holocaust, facing persecution around the world, and surrounded by their enemies, the Jewish people gathered together in Israel and declared themselves a nation in a single day. Wow. That's biblical prophecy fulfilled for you. The United States recognized Israel as a nation on the same day. And Israel's victories in the war since have solidified their place among the nations of the world. Only God could do this. You talk with any anthropologist and they will say what happened to Israel was a human impossibility. Now what are the possibilities of a nation coming together again after being dispersed all over the world for 2,000 years? What's the possibility of them regathering once again in the same place, in the same land, and rebuilding their nation again? Again, that's a human impossibility. They had retained their customs. They had retained their beliefs. They had retained their culture. And guess what? They're relearning an ancient language, their ancient language, which is Hebrew. And again, friends, when you read passages like this, you are just in awe of God. I mean, when you go deeply into Scripture, you just have to worship God and say, Lord, what an amazing thing. What is impossible to men is possible with you. What is difficult with men is not difficult at all with you. Whatever you say will come to pass, comes to pass. Oh, let it be, O oh Lord, that people will come and revere your word and come and revere and worship you. For you, O oh Lord, O oh God, are truth. And there is no other truth in this world except you, Lord. It's amazing how this verse is so loaded. It even speaks about the regathering of Israel. It says, then the remainder, it says here in the last portion of verse 3, then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. Will return to the sons of Israel. This part has already been fulfilled. Why? Because uh, Israel just celebrated this year. They celebrated being a nation for 70 years. It's amazing how God put them together. By the way, that's the reason why, because they've been dispersed all over the world. When you go to Israel, there's no typical looking Jew. There are Middle Eastern looking Jews. There are blonde Jews coming from Russia. There are Caucasian uh, Jews coming from the United States, coming from Poland, coming from France, coming from Spain. There are even black Jews coming from Ethiopia, because some of them were dispersed in Ethiopia. But you know what? It's so interesting. They don't look at each other by the color of their skin or by the color of their hair. They do not recognize each other nor discriminate each other because of, you know, skin color and hair color. They're so united. And what's so amazing is God has done that. God has done that. God regathered the nation. So again, let me just bring you to 
the, the climax of this. First, we find Micah zooming into a town. Then he zooms out and gives us a larger picture. He talks about the nation of Israel. And then he zooms out even further now and he talks about the world. And this is where you and I come in. So let's talk about the universal's reign at this time. Let's read verses 4 and 5. It says, And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. Let's talk about the characteristics of the ruler's rule. First of all, he shepherds the flock in God's strength and in the majesty of God's name. Look at verse 4 again. It says, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Jesus will, not, will rule not with human might, but with the might of God. I'm continually amazed by the patience that God had shown during his crucifixion. He was tortured. A crown of thorns were placed upon him. He was spat upon. He was beaten up. He was flogged. His, his hands were, were nailed to the cross. His feet were nailed to the cross. His sides were pierced by a spear. And I think about the patience of the Lord with, with all the insults, with all the mocking, with all the rejection, with all the, the hateful, despising, you know, despising words that he had heard. He was still patient. He was a silent lamb before the offers, so to speak. And he did not fight at all. With the power of the Son of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, he could have struck these people with lightning. He could have killed them in an instant. But no, God, our God, our Jesus, is slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. <coughs> but a time will come when he will no longer appear as a lamb in the second coming of Jesus Christ he will come as the lion of Judah and he will be roaring with the power and the might of God when that time comes he will say enough is enough When that time comes, he will now judge the world. Oftentimes we ask, Lord, why are you not doing anything about these evil nations who have rejected you? Some of these nations do not even recognize that there is a God. There are nations that despise your name, hate your name. Lord, what are you doing about it? Do you not care? When will justice ever take place? And I tell you, brothers and sisters, one of these days, God will bring everything in order 
at the second coming of Jesus Christ, everything will be in order. There will be righteousness. There will be peace. There will be justice. There will be glory. There will be the presence of God. There will be prosperity all over the world. What you and I can only imagine and hope for is going to become a reality when Jesus Christ comes again. And he will rule to exalt the name of the Lord. Let me refer you once again to Micah. I'm just focusing a lot of passages from Micah just so you know that this is, this is talking about his rulership. Micah 4, verses 1 and 2, please. And it says, And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, we're talking about Mount Moriah. And listen well. Right now, Mount Moriah or the Temple Mount, what do you have there? The Dome of the Rock. It's a Muslim uh, a worship place. And so right now, we know, right now, based on Micah chapter 4, verse 1, we know it's not yet fulfilled. But this is what the Bible is saying. One day, that, that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Wow. One of these days in the Temple Mount will be what is called by Bible scholars as the Millennial Temple. The Temple of the Lord once again will be established in that place, in the Temple Mount. For now, you cannot do anything about it. You touch the Dome of the Rock, you're calling for war. And so for, for something like this to happen, it has to be God. For something like this to take place, it has to be the doing of our divine creator. And it will happen because he says so in his word. And what is amazing is that the Lord Jesus Christ will be our king and he will be our teacher. He will be our pastor because we are told here that people will come into the mountain of the Lord because they're seeking the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when that time comes, my dear brothers and sisters, you will no longer need me. You will no longer need other pastors and other Bible teachers. Our pastor and our Bible teacher and our shepherd at that time will be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Hallelujah. You will no longer sleep on preachings. You will no longer sleep on, on sermons because if you do that during that time, you will be zapped with lightning. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But isn't that amazing to be able to sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and just soak everything in that he says, all the truth, all the authority and power of his word, you will just soak it in. And it's going to be an amazing time for all of us, brothers and sisters. It's going to be an amazing time for the world. And look at what it's saying. It's not just, it's just not the nation of Israel that's going to worship the Lord. Verse 2 says, many nations will come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. So this is really talking about a, a universal you know, reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only will he be providing a, a spiritual reign over the whole world, he will provide a political reign over the whole world. Notice what, what my second subpoint says. He provides security to Israel and the world because his rulership will be worldwide. Let me read once again this verse. It says, and they, they, referring to Israel, and they will remain because at that time, at that time, he that's referring to Jesus Christ will be great to the ends of the earth. Right now, the name of Jesus Christ is not great to a lot of people. I mean, how many people see the name of Jesus Christ as great? How many people see the name of Jesus Christ as the name above all names? How many see him as Savior, Lord, and King? I tell you, a very small minority. We are just a very small minority of believers who revere the name of Jesus Christ. But outside... The name of Jesus Christ is just a name. Sometimes it's even used as a cuss word or a curse word. Even here in our country, we, we actually use the name of the Lord in vain. Sus. Sus Mar Yosef. You know what we're doing there? We're, we're using the name of the Lord in vain. And so the name of Christ right now is not popular. The name of Christ right now is rejected. Talk about Jesus Christ in your offices. Talk about Jesus Christ in the schools. Talk about Jesus Christ in your companies, your corporations. Talk about Jesus Christ in the hospitals. Talk about Jesus Christ wherever you go, in the jeepneys, in the buses. How do you think you will be treated? How do you think they will look at you when you mention the name of Jesus Christ? Will that make you popular? Will that make you loved? Will that make you be admired, appreciated? No! Because the truth of the matter, while people don't verbalize this, the truth of the matter is in their hearts, they despise and hate Jesus Christ. But you know what? One day, the Bible says, at that time, he will be great. Hallelujah. The name of Jesus Christ will be great. And not just great in our hearts. Bible says, because at that time, he will be great to the ends of the earth. And that only means one thing. The daily conversation would be about Jesus Christ. 
The street conversation would be about Jesus Christ. The table talk on the dinner table is going to be about Jesus Christ. When we're driving and doing certain things, at that time, the conversation will revolve around Jesus Christ. I look forward to that time. At the second coming, the rulership of Christ would be universal, thereby bringing the peace that we have long been looking for. Let's have a look at a more elaborate passage in the same book, Micah chapter 4, verse 3, please. It says, And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they train for war. Never again will they train for war. You know what? This is a passage that the United Nations uh, has taken on as a motto. The truth of the matter, however, is the United Nations has not been able to bring about world peace. It's only something that's imagined. That's why it's a, it's a cliche, actually, when, uh, when, pa when uh, candidates for the Miss Universe are, are asked, what is it that you wish for the world? They would say, world peace. That's the standard answer, right? World peace. Well, you know what? World peace hasn't come. The United Nations hasn't been able to achieve that. That's why you go to Israel, they're a, a bit harsh about the United Nations. They say UN means united nothing because nothing has really been accomplished. There are still wars taking place. But friends, a time will come, a time will come that there will no longer be any war. No more rockets, no more missiles, no more bombs, no more atomic bombs, no more long-fired rifles, no more bazookas, no more tanks. Friends, when that time comes, when Jesus reigns, there will be worldwide peace. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise be to God. We were singing that song a while ago, and I doubt if we really understood the full meaning of it. Hark the herald angels sing. I'm, let me go back. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. What's the next line? Peace on, on earth. Did you really understand that when you were singing? When you were singing that a while ago, did you really understand? Did you really know what that meant? Because the peace that is being talked about here in, in, in Micah is not about peace in our hearts. We have that. Praise God. We're reconciled with God the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have peace with God. Not only do we have peace with God, we have the peace of God. We experience it in our lives. We thank God for that. But that is not what we're talking about here. What is being talked about is peace on earth. This peace that we have in our hearts is going to be universal and worldwide. That is why the Bible says they will no longer train for war because finally there will be world peace. Hallelujah. Give the glory to God. 
That's why it says in verse 5, this one, referring to Jesus Christ, this one will be our peace. One of the titles of Jesus is Prince of Peace, and that is exactly what he will bring about, world peace. Let's look at Micah 4, verse 4, once again. What a beautiful picture given to us. Micah 4, verse 4 reads, Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree with no one to make them afraid. With no one to make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. When that time comes, there will no longer be any fear. Let me show you a picture uh, near the Golan Heights. Picture of the soldiers. All right, this is a place we visited, Golan Heights. Uh, this is very near the border of Syria. And this is a place that they're really trying to secure. One of the things that Israel has been trying to do is secure their borders. Because they know that practically almost all the nations that surround them want them destroyed. Now, we took a picture of some of their soldiers. You will notice how young they are. In fact, you will be surprised if you get the chance to visit Israel. You will see teenagers holding on to long rifles. Because after graduating from high school, they are all required to do military service for three years. That is why you will see teenagers, young girls, all right, with long firearms and carrying, you know, this, this huge, this heavy uh, military bags. And they're trained for war. Wonder Woman, you know Wonder Woman? Wonder Woman is an Israeli, if you did, if you did not know that. And, you know, she was, she was really, uh, I think they really made the right choice in making her Wonder Woman because actually it's not all acting for her. She really knows how to fight because she, she was part of the military of Israel for at least three years. That's how it is in Israel. There's fear because they want to protect themselves. That's why, you know, practically everybody is part of the reserved army. Practically almost everybody is part of the reserved army of Israel. Why? There's no peace. You see, a day will come. There will no longer be soldiers like this. A time will come that there will just be peace, not only in Israel, but all over the world. As we think about that, as I bring this to a close, I want you now to understand that Christmas is more than just the birth of our Savior. Christmas is more than just proceeding to the death and then proceeding to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you want to understand the full circle of the message of Christmas, you have to also talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. For this time, Jesus reigns as king of our hearts. But a time will come when Jesus will reign all over the world. Amen.
He will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. And let me tell you this. Let me remind you this. You and I will reign together with Jesus Christ as king. Amen? We will also be kings during that time. Amen? I mean, the Lord deserves a bigger hand than that. Amen? What an amazing thing. That's why when you understand this, it's not just Merry Christmas to us. It's really Merry Christmas to the whole world. Amen? Because Jesus will reign. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for this wonderful time you've given us, oh God. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for giving us a fuller, deeper understanding of what Christmas is all about. And so we thank you, Lord, because as we were singing a while ago, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth, Lord. We know it's going to happen. It's not just going to be a dream, but it's going to happen. And we will just bless you and praise you and worship you for that. Lord, we pray that as we leave this place, Christmas, the real meaning, the real essence of Christmas will be in our hearts. And may we glory in that. May we glory in Christ. And Father, we thank you also for the opportunity to give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them for the glory of your holy name. And whatever has been achieved today, Lord, we give the glory to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.